Last week was Easter Sunday, um, you may have noticed, and so it was, uh, I thought, felt good to be up in the front building at 9 a.m. Uh, we've not been given the, the keys to the kingdom uh, as of yet to do that long term, but uh, we're working on it. So pray for that, please. Um, I, have, I have suggested that and asked that they think about that. Um, we, of course, plan to just continue doing what God has called us to do and continue to grow. Um, and I think that in due time, the Lord will, will uh, either open that door or show us another door. And so we're grateful for the place we do have, again, to gather um, at a very, very low cost, which is rare for church plants. Um, but we just pray for, for ministry on this campus all over. Uh, so Easter Sunday, we talked about living hope, the living hope we have in Jesus because of the resurrection. We read in First Peter, um, pointed out that the living hope that we have in Christ flows from God's great mercy. Um, it is God in his mercy withholding wrath from us, um, that if we trust in Christ by faith in his mercy, he withholds the bad we deserve. Um, this living hope leads to an imperishable inheritance, and so eventually in glory, um, the kingdom that we inherit, the perfected eternity that we will uh, occupy and, and live in and enjoy um, will not perish because we will not perish if we're in Christ. Living Hope views all of life as grace, and so until God calls us home, everything that we go through, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, uh, it's a grace from the Lord because it's an opportunity to respond by faith and become more like Jesus. Uh, and lastly, the Living Hope, of course, is born from faith. Um, we talk about this all the time because the worst thing we can do is just proclaim a kingdom life, a Christian life, um, an, an attitude or behavior modification lifestyle to make someone say, I'm good now because I'm doing good things now and I'm okay. That's the worst thing we could do for you. And so I always want to just beat this drum over and over again that if you are not born again by faith, then none of it matters in eternity. You may enjoy life and feel better about yourself this side of eternity, um, but that's a very rude awakening um, on the other side of this life. And so uh, if you are not born again by faith, you cannot truly live out all the other things that we talked about truly inherit the kingdom of God, truly enjoy uh, what God has promised us, the abundant life that we find in Christ. Uh, today we begin a new series that I'm excited to share with you guys <clears throat> because I've been thinking about and talking about and, um, and preaching about the kingdom um, for a few years now, um, ever since it's become part of our DNA at our Sending Church and now part of our DNA here at Missio Dei, the kingdom of God and how to seek the kingdom of God. Uh, this is our primary value here at MDC. Uh, for review, our values are seek God's kingdom, build God's family, and share God's mission. And so that first value of seeking God's kingdom. Um, this series is, is based primarily on the Bible, of course, um, but will follow the outline and the content of this book called Seek First uh, by Jeremy Treat. He's a pastor in Los Angeles. And as I read it, I just thought, oh my goodness, he's articulating all the things that um, that we've been trying to articulate and, and live out and get our people to understand for, uh, for years. I recommended it to, to Pastor Besner at our Sending Church. Uh, I've purchased a copy for every household at Missio Day. <clears throat> um, if you want to help offset the cost, um, a suggested donation of $10 is, is welcomed. Um, as a church, we cannot sell you books, but we can give you books and recommend a suggested donation. <clears throat> so... Those will be in sometime today, and I'll get those distributed. Um, if you want to buy extra copies per household, that's, that's on you. 
Um, but it's, it's a great resource that it just, man, it really fleshes out how do you, how do you live seeking the kingdom? How, do, how does that work? And hopefully today will help us see some of that more clearly as well. Um, <clears throat> and so, again, this, this DNA that, that we embrace, that we uh, try to share when we talk about the vision of Missio Dei Church is, is seeking the kingdom and living out the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Um, so today we begin with looking at why the kingdom of God matters most. Um, why do we say it matters most? Well, first of all, Jesus emphasized the kingdom. Jesus emphasized the kingdom. And when Jesus began his public ministry, after being baptized, we read in Mark 1, verse 15, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, the nature of this series, uh, I may have, should have already said this, will, won't give us a lot of kind of home-based text, but kind of references throughout Scripture where we can point to Scripture uh, showing us the kingdom um, in different areas. And so <clears throat> there's just a few kind of verses we'll look at sprinkled throughout the message this morning. And so when Jesus first started his public ministry, um, first went on the road with a message to proclaim, his message was the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. Um, and he didn't just leave it at that. He didn't just say the kingdom is coming, right? Or the kingdom is, is here. Or the kingdom is at hand. And then kind of just duck out. There was a response that he was calling for. The kingdom is at hand. So therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news because the kingdom is at hand. So let's try to connect those dots over the next few moments of uh, what does repenting and believing have to do with the kingdom being near or at hand. And Jesus remained consistent with his teaching on the kingdom as recorded in the Gospels. Uh, the phrase kingdom of God is found 53 times in Matthew, and the kingdom of heaven is found 32 times in Mark. And kingdom of heaven is, is kind of synonymous with uh, kingdom of God. And so it must be important if it's mentioned this many times. Uh, Jesus modeled and taught the kingdom. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom throughout his life. Even after being crucified and resurrected and hanging out with people and, and showing him his resurrected self and uh, you know, proving I am alive, I, I beat death, I beat sin, uh, it says in Acts 1-3, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, a lot of times people who, who proclaim uh, or just kind of focus on the gospel and, and gospel centrality and, and saying it's, it's not just grace that saves us, but grace that sustains us. And we talk about the cross and the empty tomb, not just on Easter, but every Sunday, week in and week out. And people say, you know, why, why isn't there a different message? Why don't you move on from that? Uh, because it is central to the Christian life. It is what Christianity and following Jesus is all about. And so the same thing with the kingdom, to say, Jesus, well, you know, why don't you get a new message, right? And he taught a bunch of different stuff. He commanded a whole bunch of different stuff. But the overarching theme and the thing that he kept teaching on and proclaiming and, and really getting detailed about of how you interact with the world and interact with others, he's teaching on the kingdom. So even after he's crucified, buried, and resurrected, he doesn't change his story. He doesn't come out with volume two or chapter whatever. He says more about the kingdom, teaching about the kingdom. He taught and commanded many things, as I said, but the kingdom is so important and such an overarching umbrella kind of 
theme of all of his teaching, that in Matthew 6, 33, uh, we have, this is, again, something that, of course, we take our primary value from. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. So for Jesus, who could have said a lot of different things to seek first, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So point number one is Jesus emphasized the kingdom. Point number two is we should seek the kingdom. Jesus emphasized the kingdom. We should seek the kingdom. Seek first. If Jesus says of something over all the things that he taught on, commanded, suggested, uh, modeled, rebuked, whatever, whatever words that came out of his mouth, of all the things that he taught, if he mentions about any of them to seek it first, then we should probably take note of that. We should dig into that. We should lean in, press in, explore that. Seeking the kingdom is primary. And if it's this important, then we should rearrange our lives and reprioritize our lives around this aim as well. There's a movie, I don't know how old it is, um, and it starts off as this kind of really cool sci-fi movie uh, where there's a crew from Earth and they're going to kind of reignite the sun. It starts off by saying the sun is dying. And it shows the earth like freezing. And basically, it's going to freeze to death because the sun is going out, basically. <clears throat> and so this crew is sent to, to like shoot a nuke into the sun to reignite it. Uh, it sounds silly, I guess, to Emily. Uh, it's a really cool movie. And at the end, it turns into like a little bit of a horror movie. And so I was like, why did we have to take this turn? It's so strange. Um, but I just remember there's a scene where they're traveling to the sun uh, in the spaceship. Anyone guess what the spaceship is called? Icarus, except it's the second mission. The first one failed, so it's Icarus 2. Um, so Icarus 2 is headed towards the sun to reignite it. Um, and things start to go awry, obviously, right? Or it wouldn't be a dramatic movie. And so things start to happen, and things start to fall apart, and they start to think, you know, should we address this instead of continuing our mission? And one of the crew members, I, I don't know why it stood out to me. Maybe I was just, he got me, right? His acting got me. He said nothing, literally nothing is more important than our mission right now. So this may be a big deal. Like people are dying, right? And he's, they're like, we should turn back, we should go. And he was, in his mind, he's thinking, we're trying to save the planet, the world, all the people in the whole world. So he says nothing, literally nothing is more important than our mission right now. And so I say that to point us to, we've got a lot in here to discuss, to try to obey, to try to chew on. Uh, some of it, you know, like end times prophecies that people like to spend a lot of time trying to figure out and talk about. That's all well and good. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And so while it doesn't dismiss all of the other things in Scripture, I'm not saying that at all. But if we're to seek first the kingdom of God, we need to figure out what that means. Because Jesus said that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And so, seeking the kingdom becomes this, uh, this lens through which we view all of our lives. It gives us a, a framework uh, for all of life in Christ. Um, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6. I just read the part where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, if you're not familiar with the passage, the all these things will be added unto you, he's referring to his disciples, his followers, they're worried about um, the things of this world, right? And, and so Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll wear or what you'll eat. 
uh, all these different things which are important. Jesus is by no means saying it's not important to be clothed or it's not important to be fed. He's saying don't prioritize those things above seeking the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. So those things will be taken care of if you prioritize your life under the will and the reign of God. Seek first the kingdom. I used to tell the first graders when they would get into little side spats and troubles with each other and start to tattletale, and I said, hey, mind your own biscuits and life will be gravy. So that is a very loose paraphrase of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, mind your own biscuits. All these things will be added unto you, life will be gravy. So there's, again, such an overwhelming amount of content in Scripture and I'm not dismissing it. Please don't hear that. But when it comes down to what has God asked of us, what has Jesus commanded us to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. And you're probably thinking, well, what does that mean? We're getting there. So hold on in just a moment. Hold tight. So this is what Jesus was telling his followers in Matthew 6. There's a framework for life. There's a lens through which to see this world and the next that he's calling the kingdom of God. All of life, as a follower of Jesus, should be seen through this framework. It should be laid down over how do I view my relationships, uh, how do I I view my relationship with the Lord, with eternity, with the earth, all these things. And notice that, again, seeking the kingdom does not compete with all areas of life. But when viewed rightly, it sets the context for all areas of life. Do I budget with the kingdom in mind? Do I work with the kingdom in mind? Do I parent my children with the kingdom in mind? Do I rest and play with the kingdom in mind? Do my relationships, my victories, my losses, my illnesses, my tragedies, my triumphs, do they reflect the kingdom of God? Is my life in line with the Lord's Prayer when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is the kingdom of God being manifested through my life as I follow Jesus by faith? This is what Jesus is urging urging his followers to pursue. Think about everything. As I said, all of life is grace, right? So is every grace in life an opportunity not just to become like Christ, but for the kingdom to be manifested through you? So what is the kingdom of God? I keep saying this phrase. I keep saying it's the most important thing. Jesus said it's very important. Let's make sure we have an understanding of what the kingdom is. Jeremy Treat, the author of Seek First, offers this definition. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign through God's people over God's place. Does this sound familiar from the last several weeks if you've been here at Missio Day? It's an echo of these covenants that we looked at of God with his people, starting way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. His people in his place, managing and stewarding creation according to his will. That's a little bit more wordy, but that's the same thing as God's reign through God's people in God's place. See, creation, the garden before the fall, that's, that's the kingdom. It's not so much about the physical makeup of creation. It's God's people, God's reign in God's place. Sin, of course, enters the picture and, and breaks the, intend, the intended uh, outcome. 
and the world has fallen, the world cries out, man is now fallen, and so there's a sin nature that's corrupted the relationship between man and God. But from the creation covenant to the new covenant in Christ, think about the covenants he made um, with, uh, with Adam, uh, with David, uh, with Noah. It was always God's people in God's place ruling according to God's ways, so God's reign through his people. We are called to live distinctly different from the broken patterns of this world. Since the world is broken, since sin entered the picture, Genesis 3, we're to live countercultural to that. The graphic we have, you can kind of see, like there's a city that you can't tell really, but there's a garden, there's a city, the city's upside down. And I did that, just, you know, some symbology there, but uh, the kingdom of God is, is it's an upside down way of, of interacting with each other and with the world. The world, the flesh, the brokenness of this world, you know, would say might is right, you know, survival of the fittest, and uh, he who dies with the most toys wins, and all these kind of phrases that you hear about. But that's not the kingdom that God came to establish or sent Jesus to establish. And so if we're alive in Christ, we model redemption, and we share in God's mission of reconciliation so that as he reconciles other people to himself, they, those who are redeemed, and us who are redeemed, all together model the way things ought to be under the rule and reign of God. This is what a kingdom is, right? The citizens of a kingdom living in accordance with the will of the king. So in a sense, we are subjects under the king, right? He sets the rules, he sets the standard, he sets the way of life. We're surrendered to his rule and his reign. But we're also people through which he rules. Remember again, Adam and Eve, Noah, David, etc. They're commissioned, not just do as I say, but they are representatives of the kingdom. They display it through their obedience, through their faith. We're called to manage the places he puts us in according to his ways. We can't serve and steward in this way if we are not surrendered to him by faith. His people are his by faith in Christ. So you can't be the people of God if you're not surrendered to God, if your heart is not surrendered to the Lord. So wrapped into our salvation is our role in this kingdom work. The gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom are not two different gospels. The gospel of salvation is a gospel of the kingdom. And so I try to use the phrase gospel of the kingdom because it gives us a more full picture, I believe, of what we're called to in Christ. Again, Treat, the author of the book, suggests that uh, it's giving us a bigger picture, not just of the gospel, but of our salvation. Not just what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. He writes, we are saved from death and for life. We are saved from shame and for glory. We are saved from slavery and for freedom. We are saved from sin and for following our Savior. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness and for the kingdom of light. This is why, again, I say the gospel is not merely a gospel of salvation. It is a gospel of salvation, to be sure. But it is also the gospel of the kingdom, a more full picture of our salvation. As Pastor Steve Vesner likes to say, the gospel is the message, the kingdom is the reality. The gospel just means good news. So the good news is not just the good news of salvation. One day, all things will be made new. 
That is good news. But the good news is you will one day be all things be made new, of course, but until then we have abundant life now as well. We're called to kingdom living now. We're saved to and for so much more than just avoiding hell and waiting until Jesus comes back to take us to heaven. I'm not saying we're not saved for that. I'm saying we're saved for more than that. We are saved for those things. But when Jesus talks about giving us abundant life now, and Peter writes about our imperishable inheritance and glory, I believe it's the kingdom that they have in mind. See, when I was a kid growing up, I always thought heaven was like floating on clouds and playing harps, streets of gold, that sounds kind of cool, but nothing else sounded that great about heaven, right? Just that it was perfect, but the picture that I was described or told didn't sound perfect. It sounded like weird and like all white and floaty and harpy, like it didn't sound like something that I wanted to just say, that's what, I'm all in on that. But if you start to talk to me about the new heaven and the new earth, this new creation, where God says, look, I'm going to make all things new. And it's not going to be just floating on clouds and playing harps. It's going to be a physical world that you and an imperishable body inhabit in fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with God. No sadness, no brokenness, no tears, no illness, no doubt, no fear, none of that. And you get to enjoy all the good parts of creation and none of the broken parts of creation for all eternity. That sounds like a much better inheritance than clouds and harps and togas. And so the gospel is not just a gospel of, hey, you get out of hell, which is amazing on its, in itself, but so much more amazing to say it is abundant life. It is fulfillment to the utmost satisfaction for all eternity in the new creation. See, the whole Bible tells the story of the kingdom. This is point number three. The whole Bible tells the story of the kingdom. As I mentioned before, God has been presenting his kingdom plan of his reign through his people in his place since the beginning. Sin enters the picture in Genesis 3, begins this long saga of rebellion against the king, attempting to dethrone him. Who's really in charge? Who's really ruling over everything? And so this struggle, this battle that, again, it's not up in the air. It's not a toss-up. God wins in the end. But according to his great wisdom, he allows this striving, this, um, this warring, this tension to go on. So since then, what we call the fall of mankind, when sin enters the picture, the story of humanity has been one of rebellion against the king, with a remnant of redeemed sharing in God's mission to set things right and experience life as he intended. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom, many expected an earthly kingdom. We talk about this all the time. Most expected Jesus to sit on a literal earthly throne to restore the kingdom as they imagined, kind of a national, earthly, worldly force. But Jesus came to die on a cross, his rule and reign did not match the expectations of the masses. But as uh, we say, week in and week out, his victory over sin and death, though spiritual, is real. His win came via sacrifice and surrender in order to redeem his people. And in the now of the kingdom, as we await the not yet, we live lives of sacrifice and surrender 
showing the world the ways of Jesus and how others can find this new kingdom life in him. One day he will come back, and one day he will establish his physical kingdom for us to inhabit and rule over with him, but it won't be this world. This world is a shadow of the one to come. I want to make sure I clarify this because there is, I think, some line of thinking um, in Christianity where they say if, if we are just good enough and we seek the kingdom and we live the kingdom, then it will usher in the kingdom and, and it'll just happen. Like it'll, this will just transform into the kingdom. That's not what Scripture says. We can see glimpses of the kingdom. We can get a taste of the kingdom. The reality, the spiritual reality can be manifested among us so people can understand that this is how things ought to be, but there's still a kind of a watermark on it, right? The brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of this world. Until he returns to make all things new, there's a brokenness to this world. And so we're not just going to fix her up or this planet and make the kingdom happen in its fulfillment. But we pursue the kingdom. It manifests in our relationships and people get to see there's a kingdom, there's a way, there must be a king. And it connects the dots. See, at creation, God's place was a garden where people were to flourish in relationship with him. As we move toward eternity, though, listen to the reality we read about in Revelation 21. This is what we're moving toward. Not on this world, but the new world. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. <clears throat> and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. The flourishing of God's people in relationship with him is back. It will be perfected, no mark at all of sin or brokenness, no weakness, no doubt, no tears, no pain. But in glory, we add a city to the garden. There's a sense of culmination of all the good progress that has been made by mankind according to God's reign, but without any of the brokenness or fallenness that has marked history since Genesis 3. And the people of God will be made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue, worshiping and living for him for all eternity. We can get a glimpse of this now, but there's a stain of sin still remaining. These glimpses serve to encourage us, to bless others with how things ought to and one day will be. But until then, we continue to seek first the kingdom of God. The city and the garden, God's place, the people of God and the reign of God, it's the kingdom of God. Again, there's a sense of already. When we bless one another, when we encourage one another, when we pray for one another, when we treat each other as Christ loved us and love one another as Christ loved us, that's a glimpse of the kingdom. We can live that now. 
but it's not the fulfillment of the kingdom. That's the not yet. But don't let life pass you by as a Christian and say, I'm just waiting for God to call me home when, Ed, when he makes all things new because there is an already to the kingdom that he has called us to, to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto us. Let's pray. God, we, uh, I don't know about, I don't know if I can say we. I get excited, God, about thinking about the new, the new earth, this new creation where you make all things new. But God, don't ever let me get so excited and so focused on eternity that I lose sight of what you've called me to do in this life. As you have called all of your followers to seek first the kingdom of God, that we see your kingdom framework as a framework for all of life. If your kingdom is everything as it ought to be, then may my life line up as much as possible with the way things ought to be. How I relate to my family, how I relate to my neighbors, how I relate to my work, how I relate to my enemies, how I relate to your creation, how I view my finances, my time, my talents, my energy, my efforts. Lord, may it all be marked by a sense of that's how things ought to be under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> may my life point people to the fact that Jesus is still on the throne that there is a king over this kingdom. It's not up in the air. It's not being well, fought over in a, in a sense of somebody else might, might gain that, that seat. <clears throat> but you are seated on the throne forevermore, your everlasting kingdom. And God, even this morning, I was reminded, as I looked over my notes, that such an emphasis on, on modeling the kingdom, living the kingdom, that, that how I live and react and relate is a picture of the kingdom. But God, as we started this message today, Jesus didn't just model the kingdom. He came declaring the kingdom, preaching the kingdom. So again, I, uh, I, I'm tempted to say we, Lord. I'm tempted to say let us not be a people who, who merely model the kingdom, but who declare the kingdom, proclaim the good news of the kingdom. It's not enough to just live it and enjoy it. We are called to, as Jesus did, declare the kingdom of God. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. So, so what? So repent and believe in the good news so that the kingdom might be a reality for others. So Jesus, move us to share the good news, the good news of your kingdom, and how the good things of this world are just a shadow of the perfect things to come. And the broken things of this world will be done away with and made right and reconciled and redeemed under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. 
move us to share that hope with others. Help us to see the brokenness in those around us. Not as just they're bad in sin, but as they're broken in need of a Savior. That they might be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and yet they haven't been introduced to the king yet. So God, I pray that we would introduce people to the king. We would point people to Jesus and share the hope that we have. May it be true of us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.